Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you're joining us, whether here in person or online. We are in a series called Unreligious. This is week four of four. We're finishing up today. You can go back and watch those others if you missed those. Uh, today's topic is unfair and uncomfortable, and that should make uh, a little bit more sense in a few minutes. Uh, last week, we talked about well, a premise is that Christianity is the opposite of religion. It's not a religion. But last week we talked about some things that Christianity has in common with all religions. Uh, so it's not completely different. And one of those things was what we called the Eight, eight Commandments. Uh, a writer, C.S. Lewis, uh, came with these eight common denominators of oughts and ought-nots, do's and don'ts, of all religions, or the ones he studied anyway. And so we have those in common. Uh, Christianity with other religions. Uh, the other thing that we all have in common is failure. No matter what you're, even if you're not a religious person, you have some kind of set of oughts and ought-nots and you don't meet them. <laughs> and so we are all failures. That's something we all have in common no matter what religion we might follow or even if we don't follow religion. Uh, we all have failure. Now, where the difference comes, and it's huge, is what do you do? What do you do about your failure? Uh, in most religions, there's a steps to do. And uh, Christianity, we're going to say, tell you it's already been done for you. Completely different. And so, <clears throat> in Christianity, uh, Jesus, uh, God loved us enough to send His Son Jesus to earth to suffer and die and pay for our sin so we don't have to pay for it and we can have a relationship with God and our sins forgiven. That's been done for us. So, we said the law, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> the purpose of the law is to show us that we are failures, <clears throat> that we can't keep, <coughs> I may need somebody to bring me a drink, please. <laughs> uh, <coughs> now, this seems like an um, intellectual argument. But it's really an emotional argument, and I want to prove that, or try and prove that to you this morning. So, let's think about Christianity a little bit. <clears throat> For a lot of people, Christianity seems like a fairy tale. By fairy tale, it means uh, it's too good to be true, and, it, and in some respects it is. The reality is that somebody else would take my place and die for me seems too good to be true, and it is. For other people, thank you, and for other people, it is... Uh, the whole idea is a fairy tale. It really isn't uh, anything God out there or religion or, that means anything. <clears throat> and so consequently, Christianity seems to be extremely unfair. At least in religion, I get to earn my way to God. In Christianity, somebody else has done it for me, and that makes me a little uncomfortable. And it's too easy uh, in reality, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It's not easy for you to and I to accept it. But it's not anything I can do. So consequently, Christianity also seems to be extremely narrow. Uh, there's not stuff I can do. Something's already been done for me. And that one thing that's been done is the only way to get to God. It seems very restrictive. It seems very narrow. And so that's a lot of places we, we think is an intellectual pushback. But let me get 
kind of give you an illustration. If you had a fatal illness, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, I've got a pill for you that will cure you. It's only one kind of pill. No other pill will do it. Uh, there's no other cure, but I have the cure. Now, you and I have a choice either to take that. Well, that's too narrow. There should be more options for me as a, as, as a patient. I expect multiple medications. I expect multiple treatments. The doctor says, no, there's only one. Are you going to refuse to take it? I don't think so. We don't complain about narrow as long as there is a way. And that's what I tell people. Well, one way is better than no ways. And that's Christianity has the way. And then Christianity seems to be extremely uncomfortable. The idea, again, that somebody's going to pay for me. The idea that that I can't do anything. Uh, The idea that I'm such a bad person, somebody needs to die for me. It just seems uncomfortable. Again, but this is not an intellectual argument, but an emotional barrier, if you will. And so I'm going to try and prove it to you. So let's set up that equation. Uncomfortable plus unfair seems to equal untrue. Christianity is uncomfortable, seems to be unfair, so I don't believe it's true. That's the pushback. Well, let me give you some illustrations. For example, some of you may be, hopefully not, but may have been in a marriage that was very uncomfortable, and it seemed unfair to you the way your spouse was treating you. Did it mean you weren't married? You might not be married now, but you were at the time. Maybe a little easier to understand would be this. Maybe the home you grew up in, one of your parents or maybe both of your parents made you uncomfortable. And, of course, all of us, when we became teenagers, thought our parents were unfair, right? So your parents were uncomfortable and unfair. Did that mean they weren't your parents, that you weren't their child? No, of course not. Um, So we go back to... uh, Think of a list. I tried to think of a list of things that were uncomfortable, untrue, unfair, so they were untrue. I couldn't even come up with anything. Maybe you can email me or text me or tell me something you came up with. Because the fact that it's uncomfortable (laughs) means that it's at least real. So if it's real, it seems to be true. And, of course, there's lots of things that prove the opposite of this. Uh, Thousands of babies born in Africa, born with AIDS. I don't know about you, that makes me uncomfortable. It certainly seems unfair to them. Is it untrue? No, it's absolutely true. You ever been to even the slums in the United States or saw people on the street in the United States? You've been in the slums overseas, extreme poverty. Very uncomfortable for them. Also for us, as we see it, it certainly seems unfair. I have a nice, comfortable life. They don't. Just because I was born in the United States, they were born someplace else. But does that make it untrue? Of course not. Orphans. Parents have given up their kids. Or orphans where their parents died. That's uncomfortable. It certainly seems unfair. It's certainly true. And the list goes on and on. I don't think any of you would argue with me on that fact. There are lots of things that are uncomfortable and unfair and also absolutely true. So the argument goes kind of like this. Well, if God is the God of the Bible we talk about, He's a God of love, He's a good God, etc., etc., these situations wouldn't happen. And since we have all this sadness in the world, this unfairness, this uncomfort in the world, then, i.e., there must not be a God. So, the question shouldn't be, is it comfortable? And we'll get back to that in a minute. 
It shouldn't be, is it fair? The only question that is important is, is it true? Now, part of the problem is we don't understand the seriousness of our problem. So I put it this way. We don't fully understand the significance of the impact of sin on our world, our planet, on the people around us. And all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of those oughts and ought-nots, whatever your list is. Even if you're not a, a, a believer in God, you've fallen short of your list. What do you do about that? And so, since we're all in that same condition, it just kind of seems like, okay, that's normal. That's life. Uh, and so, we'll say things like, well, it's not that bad. You know, there's some bad things out there, but, you know, life's okay. Um, we all have food to eat. At least in this country, most people have food to eat and places to live, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> it's not that bad. But that only puts, I would call, a band-aid on the problem of sin or our uh, uh, failure, as we talked about. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and we'll ex- express it some, something like this. Whoa, where did that come from? Some guy goes into a, not now, but in the past, go into a high school and just, or elementary school and just shoot a bunch of kids. Where does that come from? Um, you can think of other things. And the question is, we don't really, or the reality is, <clears throat> we don't understand how really broken mankind is, how sinful we are, how sick we are, uh, whatever term you want to use. So what if the world religions are right? <clears throat> what if they're right? We got all these oughts and ought nots and we're all failures. And we feel guilty about our failures. And we could call that our conscience, we could call it God, uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. What do you do about that? And what if our situation is worse than we thought? This sin problem, if you want to call it that. What if it's worse than we thought? And so, consequently, we don't like to think it's that bad, so we, we even don't even like the word sin anymore. We use the word, we're mis- make mistakes. We're mistakers. Well, let me try and illustrate that, what mistakers are. When I'm adding or subtracting them in my checkbook and I make a, a mistake, that's a mistake. If I cheat on my wife or if I kill somebody, that's not a mistake. We, as Jesus followers, would call it sin. <laughs> it's a serious a crime, uh, even in our, in, in, our, in our culture. And we say what we want is what? We want it to be fair, right? We want it to be fair. Well, here, here's what fairness is. A fair system is you mess up, you pay, right? That's fair. And we used the illustration of speeding ticket last week. So speeding down the highway, you go to court, you are going eight, 20 miles over the speed limit, you messed up, you pay. So you get a fine, a couple hundred dollar fine. That's fair. Is that what you want? <laughs> uh, that's not what I want. Uh, do you want justice? That's what's just in those circumstances. What do we really want? Well, what we want is we want mercy, we, grace if we can get it, and certainly forgiveness. So, for, in our illustration, so the judge says to you, I'm feeling good today, I'm feeling merciful today, I'm going to let you get a pass, all right? But you know, this fine should be paid, and so I'm really feeling gracious, I'm going to pay your fine for you even. 
And so consequently, you are what? Forgiven. Now, ideally speaking, that's what we'd all like to happen when we went to court for our speeding ticket, wouldn't we? And in our sin problem, that's truly what all of us want, not fairness and comfortable. We're going to talk about comfortable. There is no comfortable way to deal with sin. I couldn't think of an extreme enough example, but uh, <clears throat> what comfortable way is there to deal with a mass murderer or a child molester? Is there a comfortable way to deal with that? <laughs> no, there isn't. And in reality, the area, question of comfort isn't the question that comes up when we're looking for a solution to a problem. I'll give you an illustration from, my, from our life. Last fall, last winter, in the last year, my wife was having severe pain in the back of her head, didn't know what it was, went to one doctor, finally went to a neurologist and said it was a, a, basically a pinched nerve in her neck causing a severe pain in the back of her head. And so, the first thing we asked the doctor, well, what can you do? And he said, well, I can give you a, a nerve block, uh, which boils down to a long needle you stick in the back of your head, in your head. Now, of course, our real serious question was, well, is it going to hurt? Is the needle going to hurt? No, we didn't even ask if the needle was going to hurt. Is this going to help? And the doctor said, yes, it should help. So my wife had, went, had it done. She said, and she's had four children, by the way, and not ladies who can relate, uh, it was the most painful thing she's ever experienced. But that wasn't the concern. That wasn't the issue, was it? Was it going to help? Was it going to solve the problem? Was it going to help with the ongoing pain? So, the question isn't even reasonable to think that it needs to be comfortable. And the reality is, the truth is, that God went way beyond fair. Fair is that you and I are mess-ups, sinners, whatever word you want to use. Consequently, we should have no relationship with God because God is a holy, perfect God. So that's, that's the reality. That's fair. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for us. It wasn't com comfortable for God because He didn't want us to be all separated from Him. But sin requires death. God set these laws up, these rules up. Um, so somebody had to die. And so, consequently, God loved us enough to send His Son to die for us. That's the gospel. So, we're going to look at something Paul wrote, where he kind of goes through the logic of this argument for us and with us, and uh, we make some conclusions when we're finished. So this is in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. <clears throat> when we, that means all of us, we're utterly helpless. That word helpless means hopeless. It means powerless. It means you, nothing you, can, you and I can do. I've used this illustration in the past. It would be kind of like uh, getting in, air, uh, in a helicopter, uh, the driver taking you and I, or you or I, out to the middle of the ocean and dropping us. All right? doesn't matter if you can swim or not, but just say you can't swim. You are utterly helpless, hopeless and powerless, right? You are going to die unless what? The 
guy in a helicopter throws you a life preserver or he lowers a, a rope down for you to grab hold of pretty quickly if you can't swim, right? So Christ, we're in this helpless situation. Christ came at just the right time. He decided when that was and died for us sinners. Now, if you don't like the word sinners, some translations use the word ungodly. Now, let me ask you. If I asked you, are you an ungodly person, how many of you would say yes? I don't think most people would say yes. Oh, you sure, I, I'm a mistaker, I make mistakes, but, you know, compared to most people, I'm not ungodly. Well, ungodly means to be not like God. God is perfect. So, you and I sin it automatically makes us what? Ungodly, even though we might not like the term. But, you know, we kind of dumb it down by comparing ourselves to people in prison or whatever, right? No, no. You, I, everyone, a sinner or ungodly. So that's our problem, our situation, our dilemma. So Paul goes on. He uses this interesting illustration in verse 7. <clears throat> now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though some might perhaps die for a person who is especially good. Now, I said this in the first service, say it again here. I love you guys. I love you folks. But I'm not dying for you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just not. Except, now, there are some people I would die for here. My wife, my kids, my grandkids. There's a degree of love there that's more than my love for everybody else. I guess the best way to describe it. So we understand that, right? I think most of you would agree with that. That's probably the people you would die for. So with that in mind, he says, but God showed or demonstrated, if you like that word better, His great love for us. All right, so He's at the love level. He's willing to die. Not only willing to die, He's going to use the term enemies. So let's... Jack it up here. Somebody's asking me to die for my enemy? No way. Why would I even think of doing that? God demonstrated His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners or enemies. You're feeling good about yourself this morning? <laughs> we're all sinners, right? Now, sinner, sin means missing the mark. Now, you could just barely miss the mark, but in reality, we've missed the mark by this much, right? whole bunch, we've missed the mark. So, God demonstrated or showed His love to us by sending Christ to die for us. Does that sound fair? It doesn't sound fair to Him. <laughs> it isn't fair to us because we're the ones that messed up. It's like you took somebody else's prison sentence. Now, one thing else I want to point out here, that word showed in this translation's past tense. In the Greek, the original, it is in the present tense. Uh, and when it says demonstrates, God shows or God demonstrates. So, He did it 2,000 years ago. He continues to do it today. That's what the Greek would say, His great love for us. Uh, kind of catches us off guard, doesn't it? Why, why would God do that? 
And then he goes on to explain the ramifications of the results. He says, and since we have been made right in God's sight, meaning we're not seen as sinners. <laughs> we're seen as godly. Mind-boggling, right? Since we not, we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, again, the cost, He, meaning God, will certainly save us from His condemnation or wrath or punishment. So we're no longer at odds with God. We are no longer need to be recipients of the death or the punishment. It was all put on Jesus on the cross. And so, quote unquote, we get to go scot-free, kind of. Again, seems too good to be true. And then he uses a, a, a comparison of friendship and enemies. He says, for since our friendship with God was restored, relationship was reconciled or it was changed by the death of his son, while we were still his, his enemies. Again, all right, I'm still ungodly, I'm still a sinner. Maybe not as bad as some other people, but I got plenty. <laughs> In that state, God decided he was going to love me enough as an enemy to send his son to die for me. Again, it's just beyond our comprehension almost. Uh, enemy means opposed to. So, while I'm opposed to God, God is going to die for me. And we're saved through His life of His Son. It means we're at peace. We're friends again. So, consequently, ah, so what? what? What's your reaction? Well, this is, should be a reaction. should be my reaction. So, now we can rejoice. Hallelujah, right? I have this wonderful new relationship with God. Not because of anything I've done, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ that made us friends with God. He's bridged the gap. He's taken the punishment. Can you imagine doing nothing in response to that? That kind of love? So, my perspective, Christianity offers the most just system in an unjust world. Debt had to be paid, somebody had to die. I can't, I'm already messed up. So God loved me enough to send His Son to die for me, to take care of that. So His justice was fulfilled. Sin required death, even though it's, again, we live in a sinful, unjust world. It's not comfortable, but doesn't mean it's not true. So what does it mean? Well, I'm going to give you three things, three things it means. First, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. All other religions have restrictions, right? You have to this, 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 this to be in this religion, <laughs> whatever it might be. Christianity, no. <laughs> Everybody's welcome. doesn't matter where you were born, what you've done, how old you are, how smart you are, what color your skin is, <laughs> what your political beliefs are. <laughs> Everybody is welcome. Only quote-unquote religion where everybody's welcome. Secondly, everybody gets in the same way. Some religion, if you got more money or if you're, act, if you're a better person, you get in a different way. But Christianity, everybody gets in the same way. It's Jesus. Again, it's narrow and consequently it seems offensive, 
but there is a way. <laughs> Again, it doesn't mean it's not true. And thirdly, everyone can meet the requirement. There's some religions in the world that I can't meet the requirements of. You can't meet the requirements of. But Christianity, everybody can meet the requirement because the requirement's what? Faith, belief, trust, whatever word you want to use in the gospel, the fact that God loved us enough to send His Son to die for us. And He rose from the dead and conquered death. And my sins can be forgiven. I can have a relationship with God here on earth and spend eternity in heaven. Everybody gets it the same way. Through Jesus, by faith. Well, let's compare them. Religion, you have to good your way to God. Now, I don't know what you do about all those mistakes we would call sins. <laughs> I think the common concept is I'll try and make up for it, but you really can't make up for them, can you? I mean, when I hurt somebody, I can ask them to forgive me, but I really hasn't made up for it. And the worst problem is it leaves you wondering. You ask these folks, are you going to go to heaven when you die? They'll say what? I hope so. Well, wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. This is way too important to just hope it's going to work out in the end. Especially when we're giving the formula or the solution that we don't need to doubt. And many Christians, when you ask, you're going to heaven when they die, they'll say that they hope so. Well, no, you don't have to hope so. <laughs> Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus loved you enough to do that? Did you trust it? Did you put your faith in it? Did you ask for forgiveness for that? Then you, you, you couldn't have when you die. God doesn't turn anybody away that meets those requirements. You don't have to wonder. So what's better than religion? Way better than religion. That's grace. That's God's grace, right? That He loved us while we were yet sinners, enemies, whatever. That's also God's judgment. Justice has been fulfilled. Now, I know some people, I have friends, relatives that, that don't buy it, and you may not buy it, but it's not an intellectual argument to say just because it's uncomfortable and it seems unfair by whatever your fairness judge, how you judge fairness, it do, that does not mean it's untrue. In fact, it just kind of means the opposite. I, hopefully, I helped prove that to you. So, that's her, my, my one I want to leave with you, the, leave with you this morning, excuse me. I want you to think about <clears throat> Christianity can be unfair, again, under your evaluation of fairness, and uncomfortable, and I agree it is uncomfortable, and still be absolutely true. And God's invited you, He's invited me, He's invited everyone. <clears throat> God did what you and I could not do, fix our relationship with Him. So let me pray with you, and then we'll have the, the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you did what we couldn't do. There's no way we can do it. We can't fix ourselves. We can't undo what we've already done. <clears throat> There's no solution to that. Uh, we can't do enough good stuff to outbalance it. <clears throat> but you loved us enough. While we are still in that state, while we're still enemies, but still ungodly, that you sent your son to earth to suffer and die just so that we would have this option. <clears throat> There's no guarantee any of us would accept your gift, your gracious gift, but just in case. And so the bridge 
the gap could be bridged, that we would no longer be separated from you, we would no longer be your enemies, you call us your friends, close friends, best friends. So God, we thank you so much for that. And if, if anyone's listening or anyone's here has never stepped across that line, we just pray for you this morning, that you would realize it's more of an emotional barrier than it is an intellectual barrier. And maybe it feels uncomfortable and unfair, but is it true? And billions of people through history and even today that are Jesus followers, yes, it's absolutely true. I've experienced it, I know. And we pray that you would know. All you have to do is accept the gift. And we pray that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.